0: What happens when a popular rock radio DJ retires, sells everything, and with his wife, takes off in an RV to see America? Ho, ho, ho! It's the Rockin' the RV Life podcast with Jeff and Patty. Join them each week as they share their experiences while giving you advice and tips along the way. Hi, I'm Jeff Kinsbach.
1: And I'm Patty Kinsbach. Jeff and I live and travel full-time in our 38-foot motorhome. We call ourselves Rocking the RV Life. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Mm
0: -hmm. And another reason for that is because I was a rock radio morning host for decades in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, one of my good friends from those days is David Spiro. We've known each other for over 50 years. David worked with me at WMMS, but he left to pursue his dream of managing rock stars. And guess what? He made that dream come true. He sure did. He has managed everyone from Michael Stanley to Joe Walsh of the Eagles, Cat Stevens, Kenny Loggins, Dave Mason, Dickie Betts of the Allman Brothers, Jesse Cullen Young, Richie Fure, also Simon Kirk and Paul Rogers of Bad Company, and a whole lot of others. He has traveled the globe with his bands. He's worked with some of the biggest names in rock and roll, such as Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Well, he's written a book about it all. It's called A Life in the Wings, My 60-Year Love Affair with Rock and Roll, A Memoir.
1: We have the link to it in the description below. And you know who are big users of RVs? Rock stars. Oh, yeah.
0: And David has some stories for you (laughs) Mm -hmm. about renting RVs. They usually rent the high-end RVs. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the buses, the Prevost buses.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Those things are in the millions.
1: Yeah, and they travel from gig to gig. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it really is. David is with us right now. The stories are incredible. He's our special guest this week. You know, normally we're a podcast about traveling and RVing, but... You certainly have put on a lot of miles with a lot of rock and roll bands in RVs, correct?
2: Oh, yeah. I, I, in fact, I just got my 50th state in. Oh, no kidding. Oh. Yeah. Three weeks ago, we finally made it to Alaska. Oh, wow. And I I, I know you said you haven't been up there yet. Mm-mm. No. Make it a priority. It's 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 heaven on earth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was so blown away by everything we... You know, oh, there's a bear grabbing salmon as it's coming down the water and <laughs> oh putting it in his mouth. And we're like, and whales putting oh. on shows constantly in the water. Oh, I, my
1: gosh. Where did you fly into?
2: Well, we flew into Seattle, mm-hmm. and then um, we were going to take, uh, we take the express from Seattle to um, Vancouver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we buy these train tickets, and all these people are telling us how cool this trip is. And uh, we find our way to the Seattle uh, train station. And it's like, well, what track are we on? And uh, they said, "Uh, what time is your your trip? And it's like 1 o'clock. Oh, yeah, that bus over there. (laughs) it's like what the train only runs twice a day 7 a.m and 7 p.m wow they don't tell you that and i'm wondering how can these tickets be 30 bucks (laughs) to go from seattle to vancouver you know what i mean and it's like we were so excited about and then we were in this it was a very nice bus oh good and uh, it was a very nice trip and we actually could see the train tracks a whole lot of the time so we were taken the same route but oh, um, just not on the train not on the train yeah <laughs> that's hilarious yeah. but the first band i worked with which was the michael stanley band obviously out of here in cleveland mm-hmm. the band was originally a trio and me so it was like we always thought this is perfect we'll keep it like this because everybody has a window in the car mm-hmm. and it was acoustic so it was just three guitars and a bass bass putting that in the trunk and we go on our way and then you know michael decides it's time to add a drummer well that changes the dynamic That's you right. Right. Yes. and now you got a whole set of drums and all of this stuff so Michael knew the guy, a guy down uh, on Route 8 that had a um, Serpilla. Uh, right, Greg Serpilla. Yeah. yeah, Greg Serpilla has a, had a big, um, big RV, RV place. place. They yeah. still do. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow he knew the guy, and he said, hey, we would love to, you know, do you rent these things or sell them or, you know, and he says, well, we'll we'll rent it to you. And we took those things all across the country. Wow. We had like a little setup for backgammon that's when backgammon was really right and uh we'd have 24 hour backgammon games going on oh nice um,
1: did you have a driver
2: uh no we all took turns driving it's like whoever wasn't too high was the driver (laughs) (laughs) and then as some as soon as somebody felt like they were cool enough to drive it's it's like good and Uh uh-huh it worked out (laughs) yeah i guess i had this thing when i was getting tired i would always start like pulling the back of my hair or something mm-hmm. and michael would always notice say go pull over oh. and i'm like no i'm good pull over oh. you're pulling your hair it's time oh for new driver gosh. new driver oh
1: funny interesting and um
2: we had a tour manager uh, his name is frank muller and frank was like always looking out for making sure money wasn't spent unnecessarily and he'd always insist you know we always had to park the uh, rv with the gas tank towards the shade so that it it didn't get evaporated and we're losing gas and (laughs) wow and um the hardest part was finding places to put it back in the 70s you know there weren't uh you know you couldn't go hook up somewhere you know uh at the venue of course we'd always just steal their water and Mm -hmm. and um and electricity but other than that we were pretty much on our own
0: that's pretty funny and then of course eventually uh you were going across the country and tour buses
2: yeah the next uh like the the first major tours that i did were with joe walsh Mm -hmm. you know he said well okay well you know we're going to be using buses and stuff one bus for the band one bus for the crew and i was really nervous about that i I didn't you know because the mobile home was like home right yeah you know yeah you know we um we had it set up so that there were six bunks in the back Mm -hmm. it was uh you know it was worked pretty well but the buses Mm -hmm. are so smooth yeah oh yeah and i slept like a baby yeah I, i would go on a bus tour right now just to get some great sleep. Oh right. my you know? gosh! Yeah, most of those are Prevosts, and they're like. Yeah. Well,
1: now, did they have drivers?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. For some those. and sometimes because the laws are pretty harsh, mm-hmm. they can only drive eight hours per day. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if it's four hours and four hours, that's eight hours. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be four hours. So you sometimes we had to bring a second driver for what were referred to as overdrives Mm -hmm. so that guy would you know do the overdrive part just to get us where we needed to get but we had a blast we we were heading towards sonoma from la uh and it was on a dickie betts tour Mm -hmm. and you know you finish your gig around midnight or whatever and Everybody usually took a shower at the gig, and then you get in the bus, and you, you drive all night to the next place. But you really don't get to sleep till two or three. And uh, a couple hours into it, all of a sudden, it felt like we were like going like this on the road. Yeah, up and down, up and, and down. And it's like, you know, it, it, is the driver falling asleep? And someone <laughs> runs up and opens the door to the front, and the driver, he's like, what's going on? He goes... I, I think we're having an earthquake. Oh, my God. And oh. the road was like literally, it's like, yeah. you know, uh, like when you take a rug and, and shake it. Right. Uh-huh. That's what the road was like. And we're just kind of like, yeah. it was crazy. Oh my God.
0: And that's a hilly drive to Sonoma anyway. Exactly. But these hills were moving. And it wasn't because there was a lot
2: of high people on the bus at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of us had grown up
0: by then. Right. Right. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I I really enjoyed the book. And I just want everybody to know this is not a 200-page formula book. This is 450 pages of pictures, of stories. I couldn't put it down. I oh, mean, thank you. Yeah, it's really awesome. And I love the fact that uh, you got your start as as a teenager helping your dad. Your dad, Herman, actually started Upbeat, right. which was the show that really started the music shows across the country.
2: Exactly. It was He had an idea to put Top 40 Radio on television. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was, like, Dick Clark and all these little local dance party shows where, you know, Frankie Avalon might come on and, and lip-sync two songs, and all the rest were dance numbers. So he thought, well, why don't we have, like, eight acts and one dance number? And he would make sure it was very diverse. It would be the animals with Smokey Robinson wow. and Leslie Gore and, and maybe Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I mean... Jazz, rock, country, wow. every. I mean, you know, Tammy Wynette did the show, and Johnny Cash did the show, you know, as well as pretty much every single band from the Beatles to the Stones to the Who. Well, you know,
1: I, I would imagine you hung out there a lot. Were you? Well, I worked there. You yeah. actually worked there. You so you yeah. were old enough to work there. How old were you at the time? I was time?
2: thirteen when I started, oh. and that's when the show started. Yeah. My dad gave me the job uh, of holding up the cue cards for the hosts. Oh. So, the original host, before it went syndicated and across the country, it was just on in Cleveland. So, the hosts were like the WHK Good Guys, right. the Wixie Supermen, yeah. you know, all the big stations in town. They would rotate. And it was through those people, uh, you know, meeting all of those DJs at that time, that all of a sudden I got a heavy duty Jones to do radio. I was working at a store called Mantalk. Mm-hmm. And Mantalk was the first store, one of the first stores in America, that actually started bringing in English Carnaby Street clothing. Right. And they provided all the clothes for the upbeat show. My dad thought I should get a, a real job, you know, when I was 14. So during the week, I'd work at Mantalk. But mostly what I did was I played my records to the people in the store. <laughs> He said to me one day, there was a station in Cleveland called WXEN. It's uh, right, 106 yes. or 108, I can't mm-hmm. remember. And he said, for $25, he can buy Midnight to 6. And I could go and do the show and just, you know, whenever I felt like it, talk about, you know, man talk sure. and the cool clothes, but play all the records and talk and do that. Well, I would bring people from Upbeat over there. If the Yardbirds were doing the show, I'd tell Jimmy Page, hey, man, we're going to go, like, let's go play the blues for five hours, you know? Wow. Basically, we'd, I'd go over there and I'd do the show until, you know, was too tired or whatever. <laughs> right. But it would be like the Polish hour, the German hour, the polka hour, the this, and then I was like the, the hippie hour, you know, midnight to whenever. Then a station called WNCR was starting, they hired a crew and they all walked out after the first week. Wow. And I'm like, well, okay, well first of all, why do they all walk out? And uh, secondly, how do I get in? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there's no internet at this time. I'm 16 years old. My dad was doing a TV show with a guy named Don Imus who became, you know, a worldwide known disc jockey. Don takes me to meet the GM and the program director and he David and I worked together uh, up in Michigan and we did some stuff out in Sacramento and all of these things. And, um, (laughs) and there's no internet. They can't, they're not going to call a GM and say, well, then you're the most qualified we've got. You, you're going to do the morning show. Wow. And can you start on Monday? This was a Friday. I never ran the board. They had an engineer there. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea what to do. And I spent that entire weekend literally sitting in the booth watching the guys you know turn all the dials and they taught me how to do segways and all of this stuff and um, Monday morning 6 a.m. my first song I played was moon dance by Van Morrison
0: nice choice
2: it was also the last song that I played on WMMS Wow and uh, my radio career was kind of off and running
0: well I'll tell you, you guys led the way you led the way with progressive rock no playlists just plain great music artistically put together
2: well that was it Jeff and and fortunately you were there for a time before mm-hmm. it turned into playlists and right I mean you know it was an art form it, it was. was really never about us it was about how do we get Crosby Stills and Nash to Led Zeppelin to Miles Davis to Joni Mitchell exactly and it worked and we were just there to play music get free records get You know, free pot, get free t-shirts, and of course, you know, our fans. Mm -hmm. We really had no idea what we were doing. But after a year at NCR, general manager came down with some new rules. Mm-hmm. Rule number one, we needed to wear ties to work just like the A.M. people did. Oh, boy. No pot or alcohol in the studios. Oh, I, I'd quit right there. And no, I'm um, just <laughs> you can't stick your pen in company ink. Oh, no. <laughs> Billy said, uh, you know, we got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And he went over to MMS, which had just it, it'd been up and running for a bit. Denny Sanders was there. Right. A lot of A.M. DJs were there. It had come over. King Kirby and... Mm-hmm. Billy called me up, and he said, hey, guess what? You just did your last show on NCR. I said, what happened? Because we're going over to this new station, WMMS. They had, like, budgets. They knew about promotion. Yes. (laughs) And they believed in the fact that even though we had, like, you know, two commercials an hour, that this format was going to
0: explode. Right. It really started to work. It did. It It was huge. It was humongous. You and I met in um, 1973 at WMMS, right? And uh, immediately got along really well. And uh, we
2: did. I never really cared for
0: you. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> then you went on. You decided you were going to start managing acts.
2: I don't know if you remember, but Joe Walsh used to hang around the station quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And he'd hang around my show and pick right. songs to play and. If he had had his choice, he would have been a DJ. Right. In those times, in the future, we actually, when we would be on tour, Joe and I would go over and take over the morning shows. I'd engineer and and be the straight man, and you know he'd be Joe Walsh, and mm-hmm. somebody would uh, ask for a Steve Miller song, so Joe would get fill up all of the CD trays with. Steve Miller songs play them all at once because in his mind they all st- sounded the same, anyhow. Oh, great. And we had a great time. And he said to me one day, You're not going to like do this when you're like in your 20s, are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I'm just having fun, you know? Right, yeah. I was still doing upbeat on the weekends mm-hmm. and doing my radio show during the week, which gave me a lot of artists to bring over to the station and things. And uh, he said, Well, I got an idea. And I said, what? He says, I'd just been working on this album with uh, with a friend of mine in Cleveland, and I think you should become his manager so eventually you can become my manager. Wow. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. And he says, well, no, no, no. You're going to come out to L.A. You'll live at the house. And this was like at the golden era when the Eagles were just backing up Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown was just starting, and JD Souther, who had grown up in Shaker Heights. For, I had known JD, and he's introducing me to all of those people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the CSN people. He, I'd known Graham from the upbeat days because mm-hmm. the Hollies did upbeat yeah. three or four times. That's right, the Hollies, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there was Beatles, Hollies, Stones, who, you know, he would come on the air with me back in the NCR days, even. I'd called him and I had asked him, you know, like, what do you think about this? And he goes, how do you turn down an opportunity like that? Yeah. So I moved out to Joe's house. He had introduced me to Michael Stanley. And they were about to do the Friends and Legends album. Mm-hmm. So I went up to Colorado with all of them. And it was basically the Barnstorm Band. It was Joe Vitali on drums. Bass player was Kenny Passarelli. Right. Walsh was on guitar. Ooh. They brought in uh, Paul Harris from Manassas to play keyboards. Now I'm in the studio with this band, and uh, you know we finished the record. I'm going to work with Joe's manager, Irving Azoff, every day. Big name. Yeah.
0: yeah, and he
2: taught me everything I needed to know. Wow. And he taught me everybody I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't be that brash, yeah. Napoleon-complex guy who just like, loves to watch people cry yeah (laughs) that's just not my way
1: so were you in your 20s early 20s
0: oh yeah i was 20 when i went out to la Wow. i know you managed michael stanley and well my first two clients were michael stanley
2: and uh a guy named don novello Mm -hmm. who everybody came to know as father guido sarducci right
1: and you were 20 at the time yeah
2: oh my gosh so there was the biggest show on tv at the time was don Kirshner's rock concert it was right. on friday night don Kirshner had a a record label cold Jim's, uh which is what the monkeys ended up being on because that was his band but he had a bunch of other people and they were always doing upbeat so i said to my dad i said well could you do me a favor can you call don Kirshner and see if i i can get the michael stanley band on and he goes no you call him and i'm like well how do i here's the number just tell him i told you to call so i called don kirschner's office you know (laughs) i'm sure like there's a million bustling people around there and i said uh hi my name is david spiro my father is herman and uh i i need to uh, talk to don Oh, of course. Just a moment, please. Whoa. And Don's like, you know, hey, David, How, it's good to hear from you. What's up? And I'm like, well, I'm managing bands now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just finished a record with this guy, Michael Stanley, and uh, it's on MCA. And the band is Joe Walsh, Joe Vitale, David Sanborn on Sax from Saturday Night Live at the time. Right, yeah. Richie Furey, backup singer danny fogelberg guitar player you know all of these guys and he said would well, you think you could get all of them to do the tv show and i said oh of course <laughs> what do i know you know <laughs> so uh he says if you can get everybody i'll give you guys two segments wow which was really rare and uh so i called walsh and i said hey we can do you know don Kirchner's rock concert and he goes that's amazing I said, do you think you can get the band together? He's like, yeah, we should have Bill Simzik, who produced all those records. We should have him come and do sound. And it's like, great. Here we are. It's uh, The show was Redbone, uh, Michael Stanley's Super Session, is what they called it, mm-hmm. and Ike and Tina Turner. Oh, wow. And everybody else had one segment. We had the middle two segments, and Ike and Tina had the last segment all of a sudden promoters are calling and uh it kind of launched us you know to national touring Mm -hmm. right away yeah and fortunately with my relationship with joe and and irving azoff i think the very first tour we did was with the eagles Mm -hmm. for the uh on the border record but we toured with everybody Loggins and messina king crimson we did like a a a one-week tour with king crimson we played with the doobie brothers we played with barnstorm constantly um we did every eagles tour from then on up until uh, hotel california you know the myth of michael stanley was that he only happened in cleveland but you know if you go to st louis even today and mention michael stanley band People tell you, oh, the first time I saw them was Keele Auditorium. I mean, we used to do 10,000 seats while we were still playing the Agora in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Denver was huge for us. We could do 7,500 people there. We had like everything in the middle of the country, but LA and New York never took to the band, and that's why the huge national success didn't happen. Right? You know, it was us and Seeger, and and, uh, we did probably a hundred dates together switching off depending who was stronger in the market wherever we were playing and then seeger exploded and that's when um we came up with the idea of doing the stage pass album because it was bob's live album that broke him right yeah and we did stage pass which eventually actually became the only gold record that michael got and the next record, all of a sudden, you know, we're in the top forty with "He Can't Love You," right? Yeah. And doing Dick Clark and doing Merv Griffin, and all of these yeah. things. I mean, know? what a ride! Yeah, it was really it was really cool. And then um, I got to a point with with Michael. I di- I didn't know what else to do. I was we all were doing well, except for Michael. Mm-hmm. But we were all doing a lot of blow, doing you know, smoking pot twenty four seven. Right. It was, uh, uh, if if there was an empty Jack Daniels bottle, that, you know, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you (laughs) got to have a full one. Yeah, right. (laughs) And my wife was pregnant. I had just gotten married. Well, I was married for about a year before she got pregnant. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing anymore. Mm -hmm. And they were getting bigger and bigger. And I met with Mike Belkin from Belkin Productions, the big promoters for the Midwest. Right. And Mike had a management company with uh, Donny Iris and um, the guys who played uh, funky music. Hey, that, play that funky music. Oh, Wild music. Cherry. Yeah, yeah, Wild Cherry and a few other artists. I said, look, we have a lot of bills. How about you pay the bills and you take over Michael? And I had no idea what I was going to do. My whole life has been a situation of You know, that door hits you in the ass. And fortunately for me, it's always pushed me through a brand new door. My wife was working with um, a lady whose husband was the branch manager of Columbia Pictures, not Columbia Records, Columbia Pictures. Right. And we were out to dinner one night and he says, how come you're not on the radio anymore? I said, well, you know, things happen, you know. Uh, He says, well, you want me to invent a job for you? And I'm like, well, that would be cool. He goes, still show business. You know, Mm -hmm. we're in the movie business. Next thing I know, I'm working with Columbia. And one of the first things they did was uh, ask my opinion on music. And they were doing the Buddy Holly story. They were doing La Bamba. They were doing um, the Big Chill all of which I had musical input. It's before they really had, you know, the the Danny Elfman's who spend their entire life figuring out the right songs to put into soundtracks. We had everything between New York and Chicago, except for New York and Chicago. Wow! So my first year, we did a billion dollars total Jeez. in 1980, I think it was. That's pretty. Uh... And we had Tootsie, and we had. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Gandhi and Karate Kid and Ghostbusters and we just had hit after hit after hit after hit after hit and it came to a point where Sony bought us, but they wanted me to move to Chicago and at the time my son was in high school, he was the bat boy for the Cleveland Indians. Oh yeah, that's right. I wasn't I wasn't giving that up. Uh Yeah right. (laughs) (laughs) And. My wife and I are trying to figure out what are we gonna do and I'm at work and my secretary says, there's a guy on the phone says his name is Joe Walsh and it's urgent. So I pick it up and,
0: hey man,
2: it's time. I said, "Uh, time for what? He said, time for you to be my manager. (laughs) Can you come out tomorrow? He left me a plane ticket, and uh, my decision was made. I wasn't moving to Chicago, and uh, I went out to uh, see Joe, and in the book, you know, I kind of go into detail oh, about yes. what it was like, you know. Um, it's
0: incredible the way you describe when you went to his <laughs> house the first time. I, I Maybe we shouldn't give it away. Yeah, or, well, a little. let's bit. just say that um,
2: his driver dropped me off at the house, opened the gate, he opened the house and said, Joe's sleeping. Don't wake him up. I didn't realize Joe had just kind of moved into this house. Mm-hmm. Big mansion. Yeah. No furniture. Zero furniture. <laughs> well, there was a piano with a piano bench. Oh, okay. And there was the back seat of a van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh,
0: that was God. the living room. <laughs> <That was> so- <laughs> He's not going to be an interior decorator. No, <laughs> okay. no.
2: Well, I, and, and the phone's ringing, and it's like... Hello, it's Ringo, man. You want to do dinner tonight? And, wow. you know, Pete Townsend calling and saying, hey, we're coming to town. You know, let's get together. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. But I'm starved. I took like the 8 o'clock plane to get you there at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, God, you know. yeah. yeah. I'm looking around the kitchen. And all there is is alcohol, mm-hmm. and I, I don't drink. Mm-hmm. There's no food. There's dog food, and there's cat food. Yet I didn't see any animals for all the oh, time geez. I was there. Oh, and I don't even know where I am in Los Angeles. It turned out I was in Studio City, but I couldn't get out of the gate. I couldn't come back through the gate. And I needed to wait for Joe to wake up, which didn't happen until about 4 o'clock. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and he just kind of shows up. And he said, uh, hey, did you bring like a sport tag? We have a big meeting to go to. And I'm like, uh, actually, I did. Uh-huh okay, let's go, and we're in the car, and I said, so what are we doing? He goes, well, you're gonna meet with my lawyer, my business manager, my financial advisor, you know, all his whole team. I said, oh, cool, so what do they know about me? I said, Joe, what do they know about me? <laughs> well, I, I told them you were gonna be my manager. I said, so what are we gonna do at this meeting? I don't know. They wanted to meet you. you know? <laughs> oh my God. So I go in in there and now, you know, this isn't even 24 hours old, this whole thing with me and Joe. And the first, okay, so where's the, where are you going to do the first tour? What agency are you going to sign them with? What, blah blah blah, 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 blah. And I'm like just spinning. like, I said, excuse me, Joe called me yesterday and Joe goes, yep. He gave me a ticket to come out here this morning. Yep. I went to his house, and, and he woke up about 45 minutes ago. Yep. <laughs> and in the car, I said, what's going on? And he told me who who's going to be at the meeting. And honestly, that's all I know right now. Well, Joe said, you're the guy. I said, well, he, ha- he hasn't really kind of told me that yet. He wanted me to talk with you guys. So they said, well okay, well, what, what is your plan? You obviously were thinking about what you needed to do. And I said, yeah, I mean, Joe had sent me his new, new record, which was Ordinary Average Guy, which I listened to the whole time on the plane. And I said, well, there's three singles on this record. First thing I would do is go meet with Epic Records and put a plan together i'll talk to a couple of agents and i'll get a tour together and uh i don't think joe should headline at this point because he his career had kind of gone into the gutter you know it'd be great if we can find a good comparable band for him i just bullshitted my way through the whole thing right. <laughs> you know you know everybody shakes hands you know congratulations and all this and and joe goes wow, now what are you going to do? I said, well, I, those are the things I'm going to do. And he goes, well, when do you, you want to start? Well, I said, well, I have to like tell Columbia Pictures, you know, give them the two weeks or whatever and all that. But fortunately, I had a contract with them that if I didn't move to Chicago, they still had to pay me for a year. Wow. And it was like, hmm, I kind of liked it, including insurance, all wow. of that stuff you get with it. So I came home, and the first call I made was to uh, Jules Belkin from Belkin Productions. I said, I know this is a little weird because his brother used to manage the James Gang with Joe. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming to him, well, I'm managing Joe. I don't know what the hell to do. (laughs) I need to find a tour. He says, well, what agency is he with? Well, he's not with an agency. He says, the doobie brothers are looking for a support act wow joe would be perfect for it here's the guy's name call this guy i'll call him first home him you're calling so i called him up and uh, you know we're talking money and he says look you know for a guy like joe i don't know that we can really afford to pay him joe was making about five six grand a show at this point mm-hmm. like nothing wow i mean he was playing clubs yeah I said, what do you got? I said, uh, he said, 25. And I said, um, I don't know if he'd do it for 2500 He was, no, no, 25 grand. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, because that's what we're used to getting. Right. <laughs> I said, so that'll work perfect. I said, put it in the books. So I called Joe. I said, now this is 48 hours after our meeting. Right. <laughs> and I said, okay, I got a tour. He said, What? I said, I got a tour. He said, Where where are we going? I said, We're going out with the Doobie Brothers. He said, You know, what are we getting? I said, 25. And he said, Exactly what? I can't go out there for 2,500. I said, No, 25,000. And he's like, You know, that's crap. There's no way they're giving us $25,000. I said, Well, that's what we're getting. We have 38 dates. And we've got six weeks to put a band together and be, and go out
0: and do it. Oh, that's amazing.
2: And we were off and running, and um, I ended up with Joe for, I think, 11 years,
0: all through Hell Freezes Over. And There is a story that I absolutely loved. You told it to me uh, years ago about what Joe did to his hotel room. Well, that was a normal
2: um <laughs> Lots of things were done to the hotel rooms. When he sings in, uh, life's been good, I have accountants pay for it all. Right. (laughs) That's all true. Oh, man. But probably the, I I know which one you're talking about. I mean, there were a few pretty fun incidents where um, Joe would like go and grab the hose from the end of the hall. And then turn it on and then call downstairs and complain there's water coming into his room. Oh god. You know, they didn't have cameras in, in the you know, in the hallways and stuff. Oh, he once had a room that was a little bit too small, so he had us get the room next door. They weren't connecting rooms until Joe went out and bought a chainsaw. Oh geez. And uh put a doorway in.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> That's handy. But
2: um Probably the best of the best was we were on a Ringo tour, and I think we are in Kansas City, somewhere right, Kansas City, St. Louis, something like that. We had a day off and a rain out. There's nothing worse than a rock and roll band in a hotel room for two days um, with nothing to do. Oh. So Joe called me, and he said, uh, you know, was find out. What, let's go to the mall, So we went up to the mall, which is a usual thing we did, hang out in malls. Right, yeah. (laughs) uh And they had a radio shack, and he went in there, and he bought an electric glue gun.
0: Glue gun, okay.
2: And we came back, and he said, "Um, I'm going to call you, and then I want to have a band meeting with everybody but Ringo. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. because he had done that before, you know, and Ringo encouraged him to have, he was like the band leader, so um, it's like seven, eight hours later, Joe finally calls. He says, get the guys together and meet me outside my room. So Todd Rundgren, mm-hmm. Burton Cummings from the Guess Who, Dave Edmonds, the guy had, I hear you knocking, Timothy B. Schmidt from the Eagles, Zach Starkey, Ringo's son playing drums with Ringo, Nils Lofgren. Wow. It was a pretty cool band. Heck, yeah. So we're all in the hallway waiting for Joe to open the door, and we walk into his suite. If there was an ashtray on a table, he glued the ashtray to the table. He glued the lamp to the table. Then he took the table, and he glued it to the ceiling. Oh. So basically everything except for the couches and the really heavy chairs was upside down, and everything glued to everything. Wow. Uh, He went into the bedroom and called his room so that somebody could pick up the phone and they'd pick up the entire phone because it was glued to it. Oh, my gosh. Eventually, the glue started to undo Mm -hmm. and stuff started falling from the ceiling. I think the bill was $56,000. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? It was just what we do, right? I, I wasn't like freaked out or anything. Uh-huh. I it was like cool. I, it wasn't coming out of my pocket. Very artistic, yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's better than him going out and scoring drugs. Right. You know, that's, that's how true. I looked at it. You know? <laughs> yeah, and um, and all the guys are like going crazy. I'm like, wow, oh, man, my room would look, you know. Anyhow, um. We weren't allowed in Ritz-Carlton's for a while after that. Would imagine. Um,
0: they kind of uh, kicked us out.
1: Oh, it was a Ritz-Carlton.
0: Oh. You know, we're, we're kind of running out of time. I, oh. I got some quick questions because sure. I could talk to you all day. And uh, Patty and I were uh, discussing this. And, and that is: uh, of all the artists that you've managed, who's your favorite?
2: that's a pretty easy one and i've been fortunate i've worked with Cat stevens and i've worked with um, obviously the eagles and joe and um, harry nilsson and ian hunter and uh, bad company and all these other people my favorite person
0: is dickie betts wow yeah the allman brothers yeah
2: i was working at the rock hall and i was doing like a, a fundraiser and we were supposed to have greg allman Greg got sick, and uh, my assistant at the time said, well, she knew Dickie's wife from some things they had done at the Rock Hall earlier, and they would call him, and this was going to be like my going away party. I was was going back to management, and we had Peter Frampton, and we had, um, I just met Billy Bob Thornton. He was one of the reasons that I was going to leave, because he wanted me to manage him, and we had, uh, i don't know like 10 acts you know that came in and played sam moore from sam and dave wow alex chilton in the box tops i I wanted to get something from everywhere you know uh drew carey was our host and i'd never really know i'd seen the almonds i'd met dickie you know 10 or 12 times for the first time every time and At lunch that day, I'm walking around thanking everybody for coming, and I introduced myself to Dickie, and he said, so you're the guy that's leaving, huh? I said, yeah. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm starting my management company up again. And he said, well, I need a manager. Why don't you come and see me next week? And I'm like, Really? (laughs) <laughs> this is a good start. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, over the next few days, everybody I told I had a meeting with Dickie Betts said, you're out of your mind. This guy's crazy. Wow. I mean, he'll kill you. <laughs> oh. He'll kill you if he's not happy. Yeah, I mean, oh. he's a drunk, he's a drug addict, he's on heroin, all all of this. Well... <phone rings> uh-huh. Dickie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I went down there anyhow... And within like five minutes, he was. We've been best friends for life. Wow! And he was just an amazing guy. His wife, um, his kids, everything was. They made me feel so comfortable. I, I stayed down there for three days because he wanted to play me new music and all that. And we've been working together f- ever since. That was uh, two thousand and three. Wow! So you know, wow. been together for like twenty years now. Oh my gosh. Still one of my best friends in life, one of the classiest people.
1: Even after what everybody said that yeah. he was a drunk and the heroin and all that, huh?
2: You know, he got kicked out of the Allman Brothers for doing drugs. Uh-huh. I mean, think about that. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's pretty you know? bad. <laughs> you know, they used to come out with needles
0: in their arms. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know? oh, and he wasn't that guy anymore. Okay, on the other hand, maybe the biggest pain in the butt you had to manage. <laughs>
2: Well, I didn't actually manage him. He was just part of a band where I managed somebody in the band, mm-hmm. and it was the Eagles. And um, let me
0: guess, first <laughs> name Don,
2: and not Felder. No, Don <laughs> Henley. Yeah. Before the Hell Freezes Over tour, I got a call from Don, and he says, "I know you're the guy that gave Joe all his drugs." I've heard you're the guy who's been his mule for all these years and all wow. that stuff and I'm like well I'm clean and sober at that time was probably 20 some years mm-hmm. I'd be the last one Absolutely. to do anything to encourage Joe to do that yeah. and I don't know who gave you your information but they're basically full of shit mm-hmm. and he said well if I catch you one time you're off the tour and it was just garbage right. I you know i know who told it to him i'm not going to say that here but mm-hmm. and you know we had done the walsh fry tour which is what made hell freezes over happen right and it was just by once again another just door had closed and next thing i know glenn fry's in my living room talking about well he had actually was in cleveland and just came to say hey and i i was telling him about what's happening with joe and you know we're playing these like 500 seaters and Glenn was playing the small room at the Agora, which is like 300, I think, at the time. And he hadn't even sold it out. And I I said, you know, one plus one is three. You know, if you and Joe are out there playing Eagles and James Gang and your solo stuff and his solo stuff, we got a tour. It took him a while. It took him about two or three months before he finally called me and said, let's do it. So we were doing Walsh Fry and we were playing, you know, all the outdoor venues like Blossom in Cleveland and, you know, all over the country doing 20,000 people a night. Irving had called a couple times and said that Henley wanted to come and, you know, sit in. Mm-hmm. And Glenn kept saying no. He used to come off the stage and say, what a concept, the Eagles without Henley and Irving. I have that on tape. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, you know, they were we were having so much fun with this tour. All of a sudden Glenn said, Well maybe we should think about it. We had done a private fundraiser in Aspen and uh Irving and Colin said, Look, Don really wants to be a part of this. So we had certain rules, you know, and um Don followed all the rules and he showed up and when he came out the place went absolutely crazy. Wow. And that night Irving had a party at his place in Aspen with every celebrity that lives in Aspen was there. Don and Glenn and Joe were there, and um, all of a sudden we can't find any of them. And it's like now one in the morning, and I said to my wife, well, they're big boys, you know, let's go back to the hotel. And at seven o'clock the next morning, I get a call from Glenn, who hadn't gone to bed yet. And he said, there's a car downstairs getting it i said what's going get in the car don't take a shower i don't care what you look like get in the car so i called joe's room and i said i just got to call i'm sleeping <laughs> i said well what happened last night i'm sleeping hangs up the phone so the ride to Glen's fortunately it was only about five minutes he hands me a notepad and a pen and he said start writing and he started giving me all of the rules that became the contract for hell is over
0: so the eagles were going to reunite they
2: were going to reunite Incredible. and uh, i referred to it as the glenn commandments <laughs> and it was um decisions had been made there would be no drugs or alcohol in this store mm-hmm. every mini bar was emptied it was one and you're gone that included the band the crew the the traveling people like my wife could have a cocktail at dinner nobody's going to say anything right but it's not going to be a cocktail at the show right and uh you know he had some don felder rules because uh, that's what ended the eagles when the two of them got into a fist fight mm-hmm. don can't be on the same floor as me don can't sit in the same row on an airplane as me don can't do you know yeah <laughs> all of those things and um And then, you know, I was kind of told, um, you know, we don't need you anymore. Uh Glenn said, we're here because of David. So if David's out, then I'm out. Wow. Nice. And we'll go back to doing, you know, me and Joe. Mm -hmm. There was no choice that I was like a part of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're out for two and a half years and did the world, entire world three times. That's
0: fantastic. It was pretty cool. Well, I got to hand it to you. I mean, you can call Paul McCartney and get him on the phone. You can call Ringo. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're Beatles, I know. you know. Well,
2: let me tell you a quick story. Sure. I, and once again, it's one of those things that fell in my lap. I come home one day. I'd been running errands at home, and my wife says, um, a "Guy named Yusuf called. He said you used to know him as Cat Stevens." And I'm like, "Yeah, I must." I say, "Sure, it's my brother, right?" Mm-hmm. And he. don't know if i knew what cat stevens sounded like this is what he sounded like and he's gonna call you in an hour so he calls me and we have this like little conversation next thing i know that same evening i take the eight o'clock plane in new york we had dinner together and we shook hands and now i'm managing cat stevens
0: that's incredible i mean talk about the music
2: Mm. yeah and then i co-produced the uh, road singer record with Mm. him I put the whole band together. I chose the producers and the uh, the other producers and the engineers and the studios. And it was really, um, it was pretty amazing, you know, working with him. Of all the people I've worked with, I've learned the most from him mm-hmm. as a person. If you look at, at, at his music, it's all about his journey from the very beginning. You know, on the road to find out, miles from nowhere, where do the children play, all these this search he left the business had five kids all he really wanted all his life he found he wanted a family right never had a family so we would talk for hours about religion and he said to me one day he says you know i figured it out a few years ago religion is what your parents give you but faith is what's in your heart wow and i thought wow that's me I mean, that's exactly me. I I totally understand that this journey that I've been on, I have no control over it. You know, it's like people say, oh, you're in the right place at the right time. No, I was put in the right place at the right time. Right. You were meant to be there. Exactly. And when I thought I was going to take the left road or the right road, you know, there was a force that made me go in one direction or the other, which always for me at least has led to success Mm -hmm. it was the first time i ever felt real peace in my life
0: that's amazing
2: and you know i see what you guys are doing and you know seeing the country on your own terms you know it's like you're on tour and the best thing about being on tour no matter whether it's eagles or cat stevens or bad company or whoever it is you get to see your friends all over the country Yeah, And you get to give them an experience that they've never had. It's like, no, no, no. my book is called Life in the Wings Mm -hmm. because that's where I live. And, you know, I'm in the wings of the show every night. And to be able to take my friends and say, you know, come on with me, you know, come and see what it's like, you know, have the backstage experience and watch Mm -hmm. the show from the side. I get such a thrill out of doing that, giving people an experience they'd never be able to have.
0: It's a tremendous,
2: and place. it's the road, truck stops, and different hotels every night, and um, I love it. I, I I haven't been on tour now since COVID. Mm-hmm. That was a, my first time home during the summer since 1989. Oh. Right. And it was kind of cool the first year, but I just want, I need a tour. <laughs> right. <laughs> I,
0: I want to get back on the road. Well, I, I know exactly how you feel, you know, after having the surgery here. I'm itching to get on the road really, really bad. So. I
2: can't believe how amazing you're doing. I mean, you, you know, three weeks?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. I cool. mean, it
2: used to be you were in the hospital for
0: the first three months. Yeah, yeah god it's amazing what they can do Mm -hmm. but it's amazing what you did with your book and well thank you highly recommended i want to thank you very much for your time and i've known you for 50 years and i consider how crazy is that a a great friend (laughs) but i've always i've always liked you i've always thought that uh you were one of the good guys man
2: thanks thank you it was um I remember negotiating one of your first contracts. For you. <laughs> I still have it. I mean, that was the best 180 bucks a week you ever made. <laughs> was, yeah, I'll tell you, I was splurging. <laughs> I probably took the other half. You know? <laughs> you know that money you're not giving Jeff? You know, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. No, thank you for having me here and... and seeing your, uh, your home on wheels. And, uh, right. it's always been a dream of my wife and I to just like Hop in one of these and like spin the, you know, the, like the US globe and right. point your fixture. I guess we're going to Des Moines. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um,
0: there's a real nice Lowe's that you can boondock at there. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, you know, the amazing thing about being in the road is you don't see anything when you're on tour. Right. Yeah. You know, we had been to Rome probably four or five times. We'd never seen the Colosseum. Wow. Except that, oh, there it is. Yeah. You know, you, so you know, just you,
1: go to the show, do the show, and, leave huh? and get
2: on this plane and go to the next gig and wow. go to the hotel and wake up and do a sound check and do the show and go to the next show and one of the things we did on one of the the bad companies tour recently is we always made sure let's take a day off in every city that we want to be in mm-hmm. and just have that day to do whatever you want
1: yeah because there's so much to see oh in my gosh places.
2: have you been to like the the ketchup place the biggest i think it's in iowa
1: no well, uh, you're not. Uh, no no there's this you,
2: giant ketchup oh my bottle gosh. <laughs> oh. yeah i have the t-shirt i should have oh. i would have worn the t-shirt oh. but i mean there's all those kind of things you know in ohio there's this place that's made out of a giant picnic basket oh, yeah. right. longer burger yes that's it i mean right. yeah those things are just so cool to see oh, yes. and
0: um it's hilarious
2: you know, if you ever need company, you know, uh, my wife and I can sleep in chairs.
0: You know, oh, yeah. go on a journey with you. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> wait till course. you see Uranus Chocolate in uh, what is it, uh, Missouri? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> oh my God, I David. I mean, that's what this is about, yeah. and it's like our country.
2: And yeah, I mean, I've 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 been fortunate. I've I've been all over the world. Mm-hmm. I've lived in London. I've you know lived in different places around the country. But it's that in between stuff that's the coolest. Yeah, Yeah, New York is a great city and you can go see things forever, but it's all planned. Yeah. I mean, when you go around our country, there's all this stuff that just happened. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, 12 guys got together. We need to build a big basket. Right. (laughs) You know, it's just, um, there's those, and they're, they're everywhere in a. Did you ever stop at the Thomas Edison Museum in, uh, what is it, in Tiffin, I think? No, No, not been there. Oh, my God. It's like, here's all the stuff that Thomas Edison actually worked with. You can go and turn on his first light bulb. Whoa. I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah you don't think about these things yeah
1: so many places
2: how many states did you say you've been to now at least 40
0: Mm -hmm. and we're going to work on the other 10 here yeah well it'll be tough to get to hawaii on this thing well Well, that's true yeah we're we're thinking about it yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll take a plane run a barge (laughs) (laughs) yeah right (laughs) (laughs) david thank you thank Thank you you guys and plus it's just so great to see you our special guest David Spiro.
1: His book is called A Life in the Wings, My 60-Year Love Affair with Rock and Roll, A Memoir. You can get it anywhere, but we also have links in the description below, too. I'll
0: tell you, when you go to David's house, unbelievable.
1: We went there.
0: He's got a little office, and in that office, there are so many I mean, just filled with memorabilia from rock and roll.
1: Oh my gosh, it was just so fascinating to
0: see. Especially the bathroom.
1: Yeah, the bathroom. The
0: bathroom, (laughs) I guess the story is Joel Walsh used the bathroom and wrote on the wall.
1: Well, he was sitting on the toilet Mm -hmm. and he wrote on the wall, he wrote something. Mm -hmm. A message to David.
0: And then all the other rock stars that have come through David's house and used the bathroom had to write on the wall, too. Oh,
1: my gosh. It's amazing to see that.
0: Oh, it is. The whole
1: thing is covered. The ceiling, all the walls, the door. From all these famous rock guys and gals. Fun, huh? Yeah.
0: Well, that's it for this episode, but we're going to be back next week with another one.
1: Until then, keep rocking. You
0: bet. It's the Rockin' the RV Life podcast with Jeff and Patty. Hear more of their adventures on the road with our next episode. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell your friends.